kind of laid a foundation for where we're going to be uh, headed over these next three weeks. <clears throat> we planted for the majority of our time together in Ephesians chapter one, and um, we talked a lot about how we as God's people are intended to be kind of his display case, his showcase, that when people would look at us, people that have relationship with Jesus, that understand what it means to be uh, bought out of separation from God, to be brought into relationship with God through the work of Christ, that we're intended to display God's goodness. If you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about even in creation, when God set things at the outset, the way that David even writes, he says, when I look at creation, it's, it's just crazy. I think, God, there's only, only you could do this. And that our lives would kind of reflect the same thing, that we would live out the goodness of God, that when people would look at us, that they would see God's nature, that they would see his character, that they would understand him better by looking at his people. And that's a tall order. There's a lot that goes along with that. When we talk about reflecting the goodness of God, reflecting the nature of God, um, I think I even confessed this to you guys last week. Oftentimes I think more about the ways that I fall short of reflecting the goodness of God and the character of God than I do about um, how that is my role, that is my purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that through the, the power of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, that I'm enabled to do that, that we are enabled to do that, to, to reflect God's goodness and his character. Um, and so for these next three weeks, what we're going to do is focus on, on three, three, just three different ways that we are meant to be God's showcase, meant to display the character of God to those um, that, are, that we're around. Um, for those that we are around that are believers, we're encouraging one another that this is the goodness of God um, for us, for our good, but ultimately for God's glory. And for those that don't have relationship with Jesus, we are God's showcase. We are his display in order to convey who he is and his nature and his goodwill that, that all would come into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so tonight, um, if you guys remember from last week as well, um, we, we talked about the idea of glory and ascribing and giving praise and recognition that something comes from God and how that's a word that we use in church really often, but that's not necessarily something that we ascribe to people. We don't use that in our everyday um, language. Um, our last two weeks together, the final two weeks of this series, we're going to use some really common language, but this week we're picking up another word that is not something that we commonly use in our vocabulary. And that is that we as God's people are meant to reflect him him or to display him in our holiness, in our holiness. Now think about that word holy and think about um, other words that we attach it to. Um, there really is no correct usage of that word holy other than in relation to God and to his people. When we think about holiness in the way that we see it in scripture, we see holiness um, as, as God being revered and ascribed in a way that he is other, he is set apart there's even this aspect of purity that is connected to holiness as well, that he is other, that he is set apart, that there is none like him, that he is pure, that he is undefiled, that he is untainted, that he is unstained, that he's perfect, his perfection. Now, what's crazy about this is that while this word is only correctly used in relationship to God, it's one of those attributes that we look at him and we think, all right, I get it, especially when we think about um, the way that we ascribe creation and things that he does in our lives, that only he could do certain things. And because only he can do certain things, of course, he has to be different than we are and that he would be holy, that he would be perfect, that he would be set apart, that he would be blameless. That kind of, that kind of makes sense. But where the catch happens 
I think often, is that when we look at God and we leave that attribute just to him and we miss the passages of scripture that that call us as God's people to be holy as he is holy. Think about it even in, um, in the beginning of the Old Testament. God chooses for himself a people from the family of Abraham. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. The nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of your family. Ultimately, Christ would come through the line of Abraham. But after, after that calling and that sending out of Abraham, we, we move to the Exodus. We move God's people being moved over into the wilderness and taken toward the promised land. And God sets up these boundaries of how his people are to live to reflect his nature and his character. And in the midst of doing this, in Leviticus of all places, this kind of priestly handbook, God keeps making this pattern over and over again. You're doing these things so that you'll be holy like I'm holy. So you'll be holy like I'm holy. So you'll be holy like I'm holy that the nations of the world would look at God's people and say, those people are different. They are set apart. They're reflecting the nature of the one whom they follow. So it's this pattern that God has set into motion. He meant it among his people Israel, the way that they would live, the things that they would do and not do, the way that they would, um, the way that they would worship and things that they would, were not intended to worship. God reflected his holiness through them. And he does the same thing through us. He does it in a different way, though. For, the, for God's people, Israel, there was these practices that they had to do over and over again to move back into a kind of a place of clean status. They would do ritual cleansings. They would um, offer sacrifices, things that would cover up the things that are not holy in them, that would cover up their sin. But for us, those that have relationship with Jesus, when we are living out and reflecting the holiness of Jesus, we are reflecting the holiness of Jesus. We are seeing the example that he has set for us in Scripture, and we're reflecting his life. So it's like when God looks at us in the Old Testament, when he looked at his people, he would see the, the, um, them living in the boundaries that he set for them, living in the ritual cleansings and in the worship, and he would see that their sin had been covered up. He would see holiness through, through action and through obedience. But for us, God looks at us and he sees holiness because when he looks at us, he sees the holiness of Christ. So in the New Testament, um, even when we look at, at this, the passage, just the beginning of the one that we looked at last week together, we see words like be holy. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're not going to camp here tonight, so I'm just going to read it for us. But if Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Can we do that on our own? No. Only through God's work on the cross through Jesus Christ are we ever to be able to be seen holy and blameless before God. Remember all those verbs that we looked at, and if if you weren't with us last week, look back through Ephesians chapter 1, just that first chunk of Scripture, and all those verbs, all of those actions that God did through, uh, through Jesus Christ in accomplishing his work in the gospel, that we would be forgiven of sin, restored relationship into relationship with God in order that we would be presented holy and blameless before God. Flip with me. This is where we're going to camp the majority of the night. To 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 uh, through 19. So what happens in the first part of chapter 1 is Peter is um, laying out really explicitly what the gospel is, what God has done for us that he has bought us, brought us, adopted us into the family of God, that our sins have been forgiven, 
that we've been restored to right relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. And then he picks up in verse 13. He says, therefore, and pay attention to all of the implications that are happening here. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, and this is from Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct, him, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with, a per- not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like the lamb without spot or blemish. So what Peter is saying here is because of the gospel, because of what has happened for us on the cross, and this is even the way that he ends this this passage that we're looking at tonight, because of the work of Christ on the cross, we are to reflect the holiness of God in the way that we live, in the way that we conduct ourselves. He even says, and a lot of uh, commentators and scholars, um, this passage is, uh, the way that Peter writes, is intended towards Gentiles, that they're kind of leaving this former life of paganism where they were even worshiping something else. When he talks about leaving um, things behind of your former life or the way that you used to live, that he's saying, stop turning to those things that you were turning to before and turn to God. Live a life that is set apart, that is holy, that is, that is consecrated, that is set apart essentially for God's purposes. So how do we, the people of God, through the person of Jesus Christ, how do we live out holiness? What does that mean? So I say to you, all right, we, when we're finished tonight, be holy for God is holy. And you walk out the door, and what are you going to do? What are we going to do? We don't think in those terms, right? I don't, I don't think in those terms. But when we, look at, when we look at what God is calling us to, what he's calling us to is to live life that is in relationship with him in such a way that we're reflecting his character, that we're striving to, dis- to, to, um, to display the fact that we are set apart, that we are different that we are the people of God and there should be a marked difference on us because we are the people of God. That we should live in such a way that reflects God's pattern for our living in relationship with him and our relationship with others. Just as simple as what we were talking about last week, that, that when we recognize the goodness of God in our lives, we recognize that it is for our good, that we receive good from it, but ultimately that it's for his glory, that we would return favor, that we would return recognition, not from ourselves, but to God. That in and of itself is, is, is reflecting his holiness. It's pointing to him and not toward ourselves. It's reflecting his nature. I do think, as I kind of like process through this, as we try and unpack what displaying holiness looks like, I think it's easier for me to talk about things that um, keep us from displaying his holiness. Okay, so we're going to start there. We're going to look at just three things that cause us to maybe not look like this. This is not exhaustive. These are just three things that I think are kind of massive rocks for us. That if we look at what keeps us from displaying this kind of set-apart nature of God, these are three things that may keep us from doing it and some scripture that kind of goes along with it. So the first thing um, when I would say, how do we imitate the holiness of God or what keeps us from imitating the holiness of God? The first thing is just general outright sin. Sin keeps us from looking like Jesus. Sin keeps us from reflecting the holiness of God in our lives. Um, So we fall short, we fall short of this standard, fall short of this holiness, 
but we have this awesome opportunity to repent. So just because sin keeps us from reflecting God's holiness, as a people that are living in relationship with him, we have the opportunity to confess that sin, to repent of that sin, and then to accurately reflect that holiness in our lives. Our sin doesn't suppress us to a place to where we're not able to recover from it. I think I often live like that. I have lots of conversations where we live like that. Our sin pushes us to a place that we can't recover and we will always be, we will be marked by it, not the grace that we see in the gospel or the holiness of God in our lives. But 1 John uh, chapter 1 says something different. It says, This is the message you have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's an aspect of holiness. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we're in darkness, we lie and we do not practice truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, to cleanse us, make us clean. Make us blameless before him from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So while we are born into this life bent towards sin, and while we consciously make choices that are counter to God's desire for us, that are the opposite of holiness, that, that, that are outright sin and keep us from reflecting that holiness, that barrier is removed through Jesus. I was um, thinking this past week we had some snow. Did you guys see any of that? Anybody? It was just our house? Seriously? Okay. And so we had some snow this past week, and I was driving through the neighborhood, and um, we have some houses that are white. And I don't know if anybody else had this thought. We have the houses in our neighborhood that are white or should be white, right? But whenever the snow comes down and it's sitting on the rooftop, the house that you thought was so white is not so white after all, right? Like it looks kind of like off-white or I, is ivory, is that off-white? Okay, so it looks less than a shade, a little bit more yellow or a little bit more tan or a little bit more pink, something a little bit more dingy than that white. Um, but what scripture tells us is that when, um, when we confess our sins to God, that he cleanses us of anything that makes us unrighteous, cleanses, up as, uh, cleanses us of anything that would separate us from him, um, that he uh, takes our sin away. And, and the scripture tells us that he washes us white as snow. So like, this is crazy. So even, <laughs> or washes us, whatever. Um, <laughs> so think about it in this way, right? Like we we feel like we are the off-white house, but through the work of Jesus Christ, we are this true white. I mean, I can't, it is so loud. I can't even think of a white whiter than what I saw in the snow. And that that is what happens through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That when we confess our sins to God and we ask for his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. So when we look at sin as a barrier keeping us from reflecting the holiness of God, that barrier is just washed away. It doesn't have any place. Um, The second distraction, I think, is, uh, or the second thing that would keep us from reflecting the holiness of God, I'm going to label as distraction. Um, Taking in the sights. 
I think oftentimes it's not that we are intentionally not trying to reflect the holiness of God. I think that we get distracted with the bright lights that are around us. We see other things that pull our attention and our affection away from really reflecting the good nature of God. And it eventually has the the tendency to draw us in. It changes our actions, it changes our thought patterns, it changes our behaviors. It's not that we just see the lights and we recognize them, but we see the lights and we want to get a closer look at them. Are you guys following what I'm saying here? Jesus even writes about this in John 17 in, in, the, in what's called the high priestly prayer. When he's praying for his disciples, he's saying, my disciples are, um, they are in the world, but they are not of the world, right? They're in the world, but they're not of the world. And what Jesus says um, is that there, it's, follow this kind of like comparison with me here. It's like there are all these bright lights that are around them and the bright lights aren't going away. They're going to be in the world, but God, keep them for yourself while they're in this world, Don't let them become of the world. Don't let them move to a place where the lights have totally captivated their attention. Now, I don't want to move in a direction where we kind of make this dichotomy between the world and the church, because we are the church and we're in the world. So in some ways, we're kind of together. But there is this division between who we are as a people of God and the culture in which we live, okay? And it's easy for us to see these bright lights around us, to see these things in culture that would grab our attention that on the surface may not seem like they're pulling us away from Jesus. But the more that we pay attention to those bright lights, those things that distract us, the things that tell us how important we are and how much life is about us and how we should center things around us or things that are center our lives around things that are not um, of eternal significance, anything that would pull our affection away from Jesus and pull it towards something else, We don't want to be people that are drawn into that. We don't want to be distracted by that. Now, we have options here, okay? Our options when we see the bright lights are to ignore them and act like they're not there. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, ignore the bright lights and act like they're not there. He didn't say, leave my people in the world or leave my followers in the world and let them ignore everything that's around them. What Jesus said is that my followers are going to be in the world and craziness is going to happen all around them. But as followers of Jesus, as God's people, our desire would be that we would be able to, again, display the good nature, the character of God, the holiness of God, that we would follow Jesus faithfully in such a way that we have an impact on the world around us and the culture in which we live. I saw this um, one quote uh, from D.L. Moody today that says, The place for the ship is in the sea, but God help the ship if the sea gets in it. You hear what I'm saying here? The place for the ship is in the sea, but God help the ship if the sea gets in it. Our place is in the world, not out of it. Our place is to be in the world, but we are to be of the people of God, to be of the following of Jesus Christ, to be of the character of God. The last thing that God wants us to do, I I was talking someplace else uh, earlier today, and the last thing that God wants us to do is kind of like be this, uh, I think the term is holy huddle where we kind of like jump together and we're all in one place together and we're scared to kind of get out. And so we avoid the distraction that's around us. But what we need to be is a people who are diligently following after Jesus, following after Jesus together, together, displaying his holiness around us in a world that needs to see the good nature of God. Through the power of Jesus, the, the, the power that... Ha- uh, I'm stuttering here. Through the power of the cross, through what Jesus did on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are enabled to do this. 
It's not like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep your eyes in front of you, recognize where things are going on around you and try and be a good person. It's we're following Jesus. We're reflecting the character of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside us and enables us to do that. And so that excuse, the distractions that would be around us, they have no power, they have no strength. It's washed away. The last, um, the last distraction, I would say, or the last thing that may keep us from displaying the holiness of God, I'm going to call tainted motivation. There are times where we can try and display the holiness of God, where we can try and display his good nature and display his goodwill, but we are doing it in order to check it off of a list or to just do something good or trying to earn God's favor or earn a place with him. We're acting in order to earn the relationship and not out of the relationship. Now, while those things may seem good, that we're trying to act like a holy people, if our motivation is to earn a different standing before God, then it is not reflecting the nature of God. It is not displaying his holiness. It's tainted. Think about it in these terms. John 15. I love this passage. It's so confusing sometimes, but it's so good. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear any fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. So you see, when we're acting Um, living in holiness, acting out in holiness, displaying God's holy nature, his set apart, his otherness. When we're displaying that, it's out of that root relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. This idea of abiding is not earning a standing, but it's living out of a standing. So, So if you look at it in this way, there is really no way for us to display the holiness of God unless we're doing it as a people that are rooted in Jesus Christ. Our motivations must be the fact that we are are diving deeper into relationship with him, that we want to be rooted and grounded in him. And because we are, the nature of God is produced in our lives. The difference between living out of and living for relationship. We established last week that because of Jesus, we are invited into the family. We uh, We are sons, we are daughters, we have that relational standing, and we live out of that family. So it's not sin, it's not Sin is not an excuse for us to not display the holiness of God. Distraction is not a reason for us to display the holiness of God. And our motives, if they're kept in check and, and they're in right perspective, they're not a reason for us to not display the holiness of God. We live out of that relationship that we have with him. So the church displays God as she repents of sin and is set apart from all rebellion as we confess that sin to God. And just as God is holy, as he is set apart and distinct, so he sets us apart for his purposes. Holy living brings us good, but ultimately it brings God glory. A people that are set apart for God, that are reflecting his good nature. So you leave here tonight. I've said holy a lot. You could probably say if somebody said, so what about tonight? What did y'all talk about? Well, we talked about holiness. What does that mean? I want you to think about um, maybe even these three barriers that we talked about tonight. 
Maybe one of them falls in that camp where you think, I can't reflect God's nature. I can't reflect his kind of set-apartness. People wouldn't look at me and they wouldn't say, he is set apart because he's following Jesus. She is following God. And maybe you identify, maybe it is a sin in your life that you need to confess and trust that you have forgiveness because of Jesus or distraction or motivation. God desires for us to be a people that are holy and set apart as he is holy because he wants the world to know who he is. This is not just a clean up your act talk. This is the world depends on us talk to live out the good news of Jesus Christ, to speak the truth of the gospel. God desires to use you, to use me, to be his display people so people will be able to tangibly look at us and know who he is. May we be that people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and I think it's just beautiful how we can jump around in several different passages tonight and see these kind of same congruent themes that you desire to have a people that are set apart to display your good nature, to live under the goodness of your care, but to give you ultimate glory as the one who provides and cares. So God, tonight, as as your Holy Spirit kind of like resonates truth in our ears, if there's anything that would keep us from reflecting your holiness, your set-apart, pure nature— We pray that we would turn to you, that we would turn to the cross and the power of your Holy Spirit to say no to sin, say yes to godliness, to say no to our own means for happiness and yes to the satisfaction that comes in Jesus, that we would be a people that display the truth of the gospel clearly. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.